old businessman that goes to the restaurants and pigs out on the food and beer and everything and drinks and everything else. Those guys have demons in them and literal spirits in them that are demons of greed and that's going to be the downfall of this nation and of the world in these last days if we the church don't catch ourselves up to the throne of grace and start doing warfare against the spiritual demons of greed. That's what's ruining the world. You and I have been given power and authority over them. We need to exercise that power and authority by going to the throne of grace, rebuking the devil, and commanding him to stop doing what he's doing in the area of greed. Because he's going to destroy this world, I can tell you for sure. That is his goal. That's been his goal from day one. But until we are taken out of the way, until he is removed from the earth, who is he? Until he is removed, that's the body of Christ. Until the body of Christ is removed, the devil is going to be limited in what he can do. But I'm going to tell you, very, very, very soon, you better be prepared. Jesus is coming again. I'm telling you, the king is coming again. And I may, I I think, in fact, I'm so convinced it's going to be so soon. I'm going to start, I think I'm going to start teaching and preparing and I haven't taught this in 10 or 15 years, so I'm really rusty on this. But I'm going to start teaching on the seven feasts of Israel. I need to do that. I have not done that in a long, long time. But when I first got revelation on the seven feasts of Israel, and I saw all those feasts and how Christ had fulfilled the first three of those seven to the letter, and the one that is... Next to be fulfilled is the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. I was so excited about these things. In fact, I went to my Baptist preacher. I was just a deacon at the time. But we had a Baptist preacher that had a Ph.D. from the seminary. And he had just graduated. And I went and told him, I said, you know, isn't it going to be something that when the king comes again and he catches away the church and takes us to heaven... And then he trains us for those seven years. And then he brings us back to reign and rule with him for a thousand years on earth. All the nations that won't come to Jerusalem to worship him on Feast of Tabernacles, he's going to give them no rain. I said, what do you think about that? Well, he said, Thurman, where'd you get that? I said, in the Bible. In the Word of God. He said, no, no, Thurman, that's not what's going to happen. I said, what do you mean that's not what's going to happen? He said, you know, uh, he said, what are you talking about these seven feasts of Israel? I said, You've got a Ph.D. from the seminary, and you don't know what the seven feasts of Israel are? He said, i never heard of them in my life. I said, what do they teach you down there? Do you all study the Bible in seminary? They teach you how to build a church and tell a joke at the beginning of every service. And then get three points, and, and, and you're out of there in 30 minutes. I said, what do they teach you? He had never heard of the seven feasts of Israel and had a Ph.D. from the seminary. I thought, wow. And we want to know why. That we don't know what's going on today. Let me tell you. Jesus is coming again. And he's coming in soon. I don't know how soon it's going to be. But I'm going to tell you what. It could be this October. I mean, I can't. I, I, I will say this. I am completely convinced the king will return on Rosh Hashanah. Feast of Trumpets. Completely convinced. Now, that's a 48-hour period. 
That is also the day that no man knows the hour. Isn't that strange? The day that no man knows the hour. What did he say? I will come on a day that no man knows the hour. It's just too many little coincidences that he spoke. And since he fulfilled the first three feasts, right, on the money. And then this next one. Actually, the fifth one. The fourth four he has fulfilled completely. The next one, the fifth one, is Rosh Hashanah, or Feast of Trumpets. And I think he's coming. And uh, I brought a DVD today to give to a man that if he's here that speaks Spanish, I'm going to give it to him and let him take it home and listen to it because I've listened to it a half a dozen times. It's 30 minutes long, and I just can't make out what this guy's saying. Although it has a Spanish interpreter, I need somebody who can really speak Spanish to listen to this CD, or this DVD and then tell me what it is. So there's a man that goes to this church. So I've told him I was going to bring it today, and I did. Uh, somewhere. Where did I put it? I think I left it in the car. I hope I did. I did put it in the car. I don't know where I put it in the car, but it's in there. Because I took it out early this morning and put it in there. So, But anyway, what it is, it's a, it's, there's a man that walked a prophet. Now, only God would do something this stupid. I mean, he don't do things the way you and I do things. You know, I mean, it's amazing. You know, when he brought the when he brought John the Baptist in, he didn't bring him in in a three-piece suit, did he? John the Baptist come in in his loincloth and his uh, camel hair stuff, and he's eating locusts and wild honey. You know, and he walks in screaming, Repent! The kingdom of heaven is at hand! Well, who is this nut? I mean, you know, good grief. You know, no, I mean, good grief. If God was in there, surely he wouldn't bring this guy in like this. Surely he'd bring him in dressed up. You know, and he'd look nice and smell good and all this kind of stuff. He wouldn't possibly bring some guy like this in. Well, this gentleman that I'm talking about, this man, I think this old prophet, I know he's blind in one eye. He's only got one eye. And I know he was not cleaned up, dressed up or nothing. And I think he had three teeth in his whole head. That's all I could see. Three. One of them over here and two of them over here. And that's all the teeth he had in his mouth. But the guy knew the word. And he had some awesome things to say about it. And he walked 200 miles because God told him to come see Al Cooper, which is the owner of GLC, where we're on television. And him and his wife. And he came and said, I have a message from God for Al. And he met with Al and he told him what was going to happen. And I'm not sure that I understand this right, but if I understood this right, somewhere between Middle and Odessa, West, there's going to be some kind of a tremendous fire and explosion out there that's going to come from underground. And then he talks about an earthquake that's going to come from California to Wisconsin. That's going to do devastating things. And if I understood him right through the interpreter, which I may not have, he says, is there any way to stop this? And he said, yes. If the church will straighten their act up and walk in love, I will not allow this to happen. That's pretty scary too, isn't it? Do you think the king is happy with the church? No. I don't think so at all. I don't think he is happy with the church. I don't think he's happy with us as pastors. I don't think he's happy with a whole lot of what's going on. I really don't. 
And I think that judgment is fixing to fall. In fact, I don't think judgment's fixing to fall. Judgment has already begun to fall on the world. I mean, when you see seven hurricanes in Florida form at the same time, and you go to Florida today, and Florida's still wiped out. Tens of thousands of people are totally out of business down there. Tens of thousands. I mean, you take those islands off down in there, they're wiped out. I mean, some of those islands were completely wiped out. There was nothing left. Every building was destroyed. And then you take this earthquake out there uh, in the Pacific that went all those directions and just wiped out tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of peoples and homes. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's here. It's happening everywhere. And it's all because of our sin. I mean, the Lord said these things is going to happen, but we don't believe Him. So when we see these things happening, we try to explain it away. But I'm telling you, the Lord is demanding His church be holy. And I'm going to tell you that if you're not ready for what's going to come, and if you're not walking in holiness, and you're not learning how to walk in faith, you will not go through this, you will not make it. You'll be killed or the devastation that will come upon you will be absolutely awesome. But if you know how to walk in faith, you'll be able to come through this thing and you'll be able to do great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. But if you're walking in faith, you can see wonderful things happen. In fact, let me tell you, the other day whenever that I was praying for a woman right here and a box fell off right there on the floor, and when it hit the floor, bam, like that, she jumped just like that, jerked, I just kept praying for her, got through praying for her. She said, Mr. Scribner, how do you do that? I said, do what? She said, you didn't even flinch when that box or whatever that was fell on the floor. I said, that scared me. I said, I walk by total faith. I said, nothing scares me. Nothing moves me. I don't care what it is. Nothing. I said, if there had been a nuclear bomb gone off downtown Dallas, I might have been the only one left standing here, but I'd still been here. Now, see... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that kind of faith, didn't they? If they had that kind of faith, and this is the kind of faith those boys had, the God we serve is well able and He will deliver us through that fire. That was their confession. What did we talk about last Sunday? What's the power of your confession? You possess what you confess in faith from the Word of God. Now, if you possess... My God is well able and He will deliver me through anything. I have no doors open to the devil. I am walking holy before God. I'm walking in obedience to His Word. I have no doors open to the devil in my life. With no doors open to the devil in my life, Satan cannot attach himself to me. He cannot. He can touch me. Now, the Scripture says He cannot touch you. Somebody come to me either last week or week before. I said, have you checked out that word touch in 1 John 5.18? I says, no, I have not. He said, you need to check it out. So I went and checked it. And it says, that where it says, and the devil cannot touch you, that word also means he cannot attach himself to you. In other words, to touch you is one thing. But to stay attached to me is something else. So when the devil comes to me and puts a symptom upon me, whatever it is, if he has no claim to me, he can't put his claws into me and get in me. There used to be a woman that come to this church. She said, I have a clawing in my brain. It's like I have claws in there. And I said, well, you got demons. 
She said, what? I said, you got demons. And I found out the woman had unforgiveness. I said, you get rid of that unforgiveness and I'll drive those devils out. They'll loose those claws and they'll go. And she was a Methodist and she thought I was the craziest man she had ever heard of in her life. But she repented. And when she did, I grabbed her and shook her and commanded those devils to come out of her in the name of Jesus. And it totally delivered that woman from everything she had ever had. For the first time in her life, she went home that night and slept without nightmares. The devil is what brings nightmares. He is the one that does all these things to you. You have power and authority over him. If you're walking holy before God and you're walking in faith, all power has been given to you over the devil. All. And he cannot touch you. He cannot touch you. And he cannot attach himself to you. I put it like that. He can touch you. But when he touches you, you can, if you submitted yourself to God, you can resist the devil with it is written, and he will have to flee from you. Now then, if you're walking in sin, forget it. He has power over you. And that's when he's going to get you. And that's what we've had so many people that have come here over the last few years. So many people that come here that we could not get healed. Or we could get only get them partially healed, partially delivered. And then we would find that last little sin. And they confess it and repent of it. Bam. They get healed or delivered just like that. We've had devils scream at us here. I'm not coming out of him. I'm not coming out of her because I have a legal right to him or her, whatever. You find the legal right. When you find the legal right, you get the sin repented of. Once the sin's repented of, then it's pretty easy to cast out the devil. But as long as that sin remains, that curse remains. Now then, I had a lady that I don't think they've ever been here, but they've been a couple places I've been up north. And I, uh, in fact, Fred... When he was up in New York City in a trade show, he gave this woman one of my videos. She took it home and listened to it, and she called me, and she wanted some more of the same video. And I sent her three or four more copies, and she I forget how many of those I sent her. One day I didn't have that one. I said, well, let me send you another one. And she said, absolutely not. I want that video. It's the best video I've ever seen in my life. I said, okay, ma'am. Anyway, I didn't argue with her, so I just sent her two or three others. I didn't have that one right then. Well, a few weeks later, she called back. She said, my goodness, those are the best videos I've ever seen in my life. So, see, don't get hung up on just one video. Watch them all. Well, this woman, it wasn't long, I was able to lead her husband to Christ over the telephone. He was lost. I got him saved. Totally changed his world. I got them in church in New York. They're going to church. And she called me Friday. said, I have to give you a praise report. Please call me. So, finally, about... 10.15, I got around to it. That's 11.15 in New York. So I went ahead and called because she said, call today. I called and she said, oh, Thurman, I'm so glad you called. I got to tell you what happened in the subway this morning. I said, okay, what happened in the subway? This is a woman, and I don't know how old she is, but uh, she's way past middle age. But anyway, she said, I was standing up in the subway. And said, I'd been standing there 15 or minutes or whatever. And she said, I asked the young man that was sitting there. He was a fairly young man. I said, uh, could I please sit there and, and you stand for a few minutes? And he, he said, absolutely. And they began to get really, you know, indignant with her. said, no, woman, I can't believe you would ask me to get up before you could sit down. And she said, well, I'm sorry. I mean, I didn't mean to offend you. That's okay. Just forget it. I'll stand up. But said, he wouldn't shut up. 
He just kept on and he got worse and he worse and he kept raising his voice. She said, look, look, it's okay, you can sit down. And after a while, he kept getting louder and louder. And finally, it's like the Lord told us that he has a demon. He has a demon. So here's this Christian woman standing there holding the handle. And this guy sat down and she said, you demon of hell, you devil of hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. On the subway in New York City. With a packed car full of people. Then he starts screaming, I don't have a demon. I don't have a devil. She said, yes, you've got a devil. You've probably got a multitude of them. And I have power over you. And it is written in Luke 10, 19, and 20. Come out of him in Jesus' name. And she said, tell me, it took about two minutes. And that woman would not give up. She said, I knew that was a devil. Said, I wasn't going to give up. She said, finally, in about two minutes, the boy was delivered. The devil left him. And then he said he got totally peaceful and quiet. She said, now I'm talking to him. And I said, you know, you need to come to my church tonight. He said, well, I'm a Jew. She said, well, Jews get saved down there too. You know, don't matter what you are. You can be a Jew or anything else. He said, well, I work tonight. She said, well, how about Sunday? He said, well, I don't work on Sunday. She said, we have three services on Sunday. said, come down there. She gave him a card, times, everything. And he said, I'll come. said, totally different young man. I mean, he's respectful, everything. And she said, oh, there's my stop. i got to get off. I said, I'll see you Sunday. She said, I looked up, and from the doorway, there was two lines of people. And she said, I walked right through the middle of them to get off. And all of them started worshiping and praising God. It's time the church come out of the closet. You know it? It's time the church comes out of the closet. Now, when you get a little woman like her, you know, and that little woman, can you? I can only imagine this woman. I know her personally. She's come to a couple of my meetings up north. Here she is, holding on to the rail, screaming, Come out of him in the name of Jesus! I can only imagine that. But that's where we're coming down to, folks. We have opened so many doors, the world has, to so many demons over in this country... And if, if you don't believe we got demons, all you got to do is, if you haven't been to a movie, I mean, all you got to do is turn the television on. I've got to where just periodically I turn our TV on and just flip through the channels just to see what's going on. And I virtually have not watched television in 10 or 15 years. And I am blown away at what I see. I mean, it's nothing but wickedness. I mean, people are killing people. I mean, it's not, it's not used to when in the cowboy days somebody shoots somebody, the guy just fell over dead. But now then they shoot him three times and there's a hole this big around comes in and blood splatters all over the place or their head falls off. Or they get an eye, a fork stuck in the eye and then they pull the fork out and the eye comes out. I mean, all this junk is on television. I've seen it lately. I thought, what is the world coming to? It's so wicked. So, we have opened a door in the world to so many demonic spirits that when people are rebellious like this little guy was, that's not a normal young man. A normal young man would, I mean, if he wasn't going to let you have your seat and if you were a lady and you ask him to have the seat and he says, no ma'am, i got to sit down. Usually that's all he's going to say in case closed. But when he keeps on and on and on, you can be well assured that that's a demon or a host of demons. And how much power do we as obedient Christians have over the demons? All. all. So if we have all power over the devil and his demons, then all we got to do is stay with it 
just like she did, and she got that boy set free. Now, that boy will probably come to church Sunday, and he'll get saved. Somebody will lead him to Jesus, because it says in the Word of God that the devil is blinding our minds to the Word of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, it says, If any are lost on the earth, any, they're lost because the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded their mind to the gospel. Otherwise, they would hear this magnificent truth, and they would receive it. Now, you can imagine, if I were to walk in and I tell you, and this is what used to blow me away. I'd walk in after I learned how to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And, and I became a born-again Christian after, when I was 11. By the time I got to be 25, I knew a little bit about the importance of knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior. A little. Not very much, but a little. But I'd say, hey, I need to tell you about Jesus. And the guy said, what do you mean? I said, you know, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? No. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he did. He died on the cross to save us so we don't have to go to hell. And he also died on the cross so that when we live on this earth, he says we can have abundant life. Now, I didn't have a clue what all that meant. But I said, he also said when we die here, we get to go to heaven and walk on streets of gold. And I said, that, isn't that wonderful? Well, I guess so if you say so. How would you like to do that? No, I'm not interested. He tried to walk off. Now, what is wrong with this dummy? What is wrong with this dummy? I mean, turning, I mean, turning down something like that? Well, hey, you got to be, there's got to be a reason for that. Well, the reason is the devil. The Word of God has the answer. And it says, if there's any lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world has blinded their mind to the gospel. And if the devil has done that, and he has because the Word of God says so, if Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20 says, we've been given all power of the devil, and he has to be subject to us, has to obey us, and in Hebrews 4.16 says we can come to the throne of grace in times of need for mercy anytime we want to and bring our petitions up there. And from the throne of grace, which is in the third heaven, we can rebuke the devil and command him to get his hands off of our loved ones. When you learn that, you can kick the devil out of those people. Then you can ask the Father in Jesus' name to send the Holy Ghost down there to convict those people of sin. And you get to see people get saved, healed, delivered, and all kinds of wonderful things. All you got to do is do it the way the Word of God says. But the average person in church has no knowledge of these things because they will not spend enough time with God. So, when you get in there, wow, you get to see some wonderful things. But I thought y'all would like that little testimony about that woman delivering that boy on the subway in New York from demons. And I got another email this week, and some of you probably read this, but it said a man goes into the barbershop. And while he's in the barbershop getting his hair cut... He said, are you a Christian? The guy said, nope, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in that junk. I'm an atheist. He said, why do you not believe in God? He said, look, if there was really a God, you see what's going on out there? You see all the wickedness? You see those little kids sick and afflicted? You see all these things? You see the wars that are going on? If there was really God, he'd put a stop to that stuff. The guy said, well, I guess I really can't I don't know enough about it, but he said, there is a God because I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The guy said, you will never convince me there's a God because there was. He'd do something about that. This guy, he's not very knowledgeable about the Word, but he's a pretty smart guy. So he starts to walk outside, and he walks up to the front door, and there's a guy comes by, and he's dirty, 
got long straggly hair and all kinds of stuff. I mean, he looks awful. Got dirty clothes on and everything. The barber's fixing to go to lunch, and as he walks out, he says, you know, I don't believe in barbers. He said, what do you mean you don't believe in barbers? He said, you're crazy. You just come in, I'll cut your hair. He said, nope, there's no such thing as barbers. He said, what? He said, you're crazy. He said, no, no. He said, there's no such thing as barbers. He said, what do you mean? He said, if there was, he'd do something about that guy. He said, he'd clean him up, shave him, and, and give him a haircut. He said, well, good grief, I can't do nothing until the guy comes to me. He said, oh, there's the problem. There is a God, but He can't do nothing for you till you come to Him. Oh, so there is barbers, and there is a God, but the barbers can't do nothing until the people come to Him. God can't do nothing for you till you come to Him. So he said, there's a God just like you're a barber. But he said, until that guy comes in with money and comes and tells you he needs a haircut and a shave and a haircut, he said, he's going to be just like that, isn't he? He's a pretty smart guy, wasn't he? Now, is there a God? Let me tell you, there's a God. And he is in control. And he is in control of everything. And I'm going to tell you, he knows every one of us that's sick. He knows every one of us that's afflicted. He knows every child that dies prematurely every day. And does he want any of those bad things to happen? Nope. But he's made a set of rules. And he has made those rules and he's told every one of us what to do. And when we don't do what he said, we suffer the consequences. And that devil's out here stealing, killing, and destroying. I mean, you just, you think, you think about when God said in his word to hold no grudges against nobody for anything. How many Christians have not, how many Christians have heard God say in the Lord's Prayer, forgive? Forgive? Anybody ever heard God say forgive? If you don't forgive, I'll not forgive you? Did we ever, did we believe that? Obviously we don't. How many people do you know, including yourself, at one time or another have had grudges against somebody for something? You had no idea how you opened the door to the demonic world to torment you and your children. Isn't that amazing? But you know how many people have we run through here that's got healed because the minute they confess their sin of unforgiveness and get rid of that sin of unforgiveness, they get healed. Sometimes they've had problems for years. Years. And then after they repent, the problem goes away. Isn't that amazing? That happens to lots of us. If the average person knew these things, they would straighten their act up and they would stop sinning. Now I'm going to read something to you to start off with today out of Isaiah 58. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I have no idea how I'm going to do this. But I want the anointing God has placed upon me to increase. I am not happy where I am. I've had a lot of people say, Thurman, if I could get to where you are, I would be happy. No, you wouldn't. If you got to where I am, you'd want to go on. You would not want to stay where you are. I have never been satisfied with anything where I am in my walk with God in the kingdom. You know, I'm never going to be happy. I I mean, I'm never going to be satisfied. I'm happy. Don't get me wrong. I love to be able to pray for the sick and see God heal you and deliver children and all the wonderful things I've seen Him do. But there's some cases I just can't seem to get done. So that means there's a price that's got to be paid. And I've not paid it yet. So the other night I was praying. Cheryl was out working. I said, Lord, what do I have to do to increase my anointing? I know Cheryl prays for me every day. 
The Lord increase his anointing. She wants to, to see God heal people, cripples and things that we've not been able to see. I mean, the very first Sunday after we got married, we went to a New Mexico Hobbs. And the very first woman I prayed for in a wheelchair right there, we'd been married one week to the day. And the very first woman I prayed for had been in a wheelchair eight years. She got up and walked off. Now, that's something to see God do. That's something to see the Lord do. But we prayed for the reason I was called back out there, because that Assembly of God pastor, when I'd been out there before, he asked me to pray for him. He had not seen a miracle in that church in years. And he asked me to pray for him. And I did not realize he was healed of diabetes, had a foot problem, and some, a heart, heart problem, wasn't it? Yeah, he had a heart and, and diabetes. He was healed of all three of those when I prayed for him. God healed him. So he called me back for a pastor's conference. And when, I, when he's up there, he said, Now, you can't fight against results. He said, I've not seen a healing or a miracle in this church in years. Thurman came out here a few months ago, and he taught in my church. Before he left, I had him pray for me and said, He doesn't even know this himself. But I had a foot problem, I had a, a, a diabetes, and a heart problem. And he said, I've been healed of every one of them. So he said, that's why he's back. Well, when God does those kind of things to pastors, he gets their attention tight. Gets it, that'll get anybody's attention, right? So anyway, we were out there, and we see God do these things. But I want to see the Lord increase that anointing so I can go beyond where I have been. I am not happy with where I am. So I was praying, Lord, what do I need to do? Of course, I prayed this and prayed this and prayed this. And Cheryl prays it for me every day. The other night, I'm asking the Lord. I already gone to bed. 1.30 in the morning. I'm still laying there. I said, Lord, I hadn't gone to sleep. I said, Lord, what do I have to do? I, I don't know what I need to do, Lord. I have fasted. I have prayed. I've done everything. I've studied your word. I stay in it night and day. What do I need to do to increase this anointing? And he said, go read Isaiah 58. So I got up and I went in and read Isaiah 58 in the King James. And I read it one time and I shut the Bible and said, Lord, I don't understand it. And so I just shut it and went back to bed. And I'm laying there and said, Lord, what should I do? And so Cheryl comes in in a little while and she asked me a question. She asked me, she said, what have you been doing? I said, I've been praying. She said, what's God saying? I said, well, he told me to read Isaiah 58. She said, and what did it say? I said, I told him I didn't understand. She said, let's get the Bible and read it. I said, honey, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Go to sleep. She said, how can you sleep at a time like this? She said, get the Bibles out. I said, okay, turn the lights on, get the Bibles out. So she turns the lights on, get the Bibles out. She gets to King James and she, she reads it. We read one verse. And I say, stop, hold, back up, read it again. One verse. Two or three times. Then read verse two. Two or three times. Then after we read it like that all the way through, three or four times, I'm trying to say, well, this is what he's trying to say here and there and so on and so forth. And then she says, I know. Now, she's already in bed. She said, I know my new living translation is out in the car. I'm going to run out there and get it. I said, no. I said, you'd have to get up, put your clothes back on, get dressed and everything to go out to the car. You're not going out there in a gown. You know, she said, well, I'm going to go get it. I said, no. She said, well, I got the Amplified here. Let's read it in the Amplified. I said, okay, we'll read it in NLT tomorrow. So she gets out the Amplified and we read the verses. And every reference it gives, we go back and forth and everything. 
and we spend an hour and a half on one chapter, Isaiah 58. Then the next morning I get up and we get this Bible and I read it out of this one. Well, I'm not going to spend that much time on it with you, but I'm going to spend a little time on it with you and I want you to hear what the Lord says is available if you want to increase your anointing. Now, if this is good for me and he's no respecter persons, it's going to be good for you, right? Okay, listen. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we read your word, I ask you to bless it, bless it, bless it in Jesus' name to us and give us revelation and wisdom and knowledge from your word that we may hear you today because this word is you speaking to us. And I praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Isaiah 58, 1. Shout. Not say it gently. Shout. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Tell my people, of course he's talking about Israel, but it's from me to you. Tell my people, the church, of their sins. You mean we got sins? I think we have. <clears throat> Shout. Tell them about their sins. They come to the temple every day <clears throat> and seem delighted to hear my laws. You would almost think this was a righteous nation. That would never abandon its God. <clears throat> you would almost think. I mean, today, when you look at the nation we live in, you don't even think that about this nation no more. You might think that in church, but you don't think it nowhere else. Nowhere else. They love to make a show of coming to me and asking me to take action on their behalf. You hear those kind of people coming in and say, well, I've got this problem. If God's real, why don't you have him do something about it? Hmm. We have fasted before you. Now, most of the world has not fasted. No, let's put it this way. The world has never fasted. All you got to do... How many of you have seen the 700 Club uh, shows the last few weeks? Anybody seen that? What was it all about? What was it all about? What? Obesity. Was it not? Everything they've shown is people walking down the sidewalk, and they're not just a little bit overweight. These people are huge overweight. I mean, the world don't know what fasting is. They know what feasting is. You know, but let me tell you, a man or a woman don't get to be three or four hundred pounds eating right and exercising right. You don't get that kind of weight by walking with God and doing what He says. I mean, you, the, the heaviest exercise, a lot of men, is so bad that a man, by the time he's 40 years old, weighs three or four hundred pounds, and some of the most extraneous exercise he does is come in and demand his wife have dinner, and he goes and plops down in a big easy chair with a remote control, and this is his exercise as he watches football games and all this other stuff. And it's, all, it's awesome what the devil is doing to the flesh today. I mean, those people are going to die prematurely. They're going to die prematurely. It is a fact. In fact, the 700 Club, I watched two or three of them the last few weeks. And the, the people they showed, young people that are humongously overweight. 
older people. I see people in Walmart that are 40 and 50 years old riding around in little carts, motorized that must weigh 400 pounds. Some of y'all seen that. Hey, don't let that devil do that to you. That's a choice you make. Every time you bend your elbow, it's a choice. Don't let the devil take you out with gluttony. It's just another tactic of the enemy. I'm telling you, you have to learn how to manage everything, whether it be food, words, sex, anything else. You have to learn to manage everything from God's Word. Now then, fasting is not something the church has done. But it says here, I will tell you. Oh, first of all, we're back up there. They have made a show of coming to me and asking me to take action on their behalf. We have fasted before you, they said. These people were fasting. We have fasted. Why aren't you impressed? They fasted before God, but He ain't doing nothing for them. Why aren't you impressed? We have done much penance, and you don't even notice it. That's what I like about the New Living Translation. It don't leave a whole lot for your imagination. It's really clear. I will tell you why. Now it's God's time to talk. I will tell you why. It's because you are living for yourselves even while you are fasting. You are living for yourselves even while you're fasting. You keep right on oppressing your workers. Right on oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? Fighting and quarreling. So if you're fighting and quarreling, what good does fasting do you? If you and your mate are fasting and you're fighting and quarreling in the process, you might as well sit down and have something to eat. Because it ain't going to do you no good. Fasting doesn't move the hand of God. He's not hungry. He can go without food or he can eat. It don't make no difference to him. But only you and me is it going to change. Fasting is not going to change God. It's only going to change you. It's only going to do good if you do it his way. Then he says, This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like a blade of grass in the wind. You dress in sackcloth and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? I mean, if I were to look at that, that's what I'd call fasting. But that's not what God calls fasting. He said, is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please me, the Lord? No. The kind of fasting, the kind of fasting I will cause you to free those who are wrongly imprisoned and to stop oppressing those who are, who work for you. The kind of fasting I want cause you to free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Who is it that's imprisoned? People that are in bondage by the devil. 
and to stop oppressing those who work for you. Treat them fairly and give them what they earn. Treat them fairly and give them what they earn. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to welcome poor wanderers into your homes. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to welcome poor wanderers into your homes. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Oh, that hit a strange note, didn't it? Some of you must have relatives that want something and you hide from them when they come. Or they call on the phone and says, Is your daddy there? I need to talk to him. I need to borrow $20. I'm out of money. Daddy, Aunt Susie's on the phone and she wants something. She can borrow $20. Tell her I'm not here. You know people do that? Did you know one day a man took a day off at work for me? He took a day off. And I had a tremendous problem come up. And I thought, gee, I sure do hate to call that guy back in. He's got a day off. But I sure am in trouble. I called his home. I said, would it be possible? I know he's off today. I said, but I have a tremendous problem would it be possible that he could come back in today and help me? And I heard him say in the background, Tell Thurman, I'm sick. I can't come in. So they told me, Daddy's sick and he can't come in. Well, he didn't come in the next day either. <coughs> I called him. I said, Is something wrong? And, Yes, Thurman, something's bad wrong. I said, who is this? And he told me. I said, wow, you sound awful. He said, I can't talk. So two more days after that, he come back to work. He had three days sickly that year. He used all three of them at one time. I said, boy, you was really sick. He said, I will never do that again. I said, what do you mean? He said, I just didn't want to come back in. And he said, when you called, you said I didn't have to come back in. But you would appreciate it greatly if I would. And I just told my son, tell Thurman, I'm sick. And he said, let me tell you, within a matter of hours, I was deathly sick. And he said, I was sick three more days. And then the weekend come, and he had Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday, he was able to come back to work. He said, I will never lie to you again as long as I live. That devil was sitting right there waiting on him, wasn't he? Tell him I'm sick. The devil said, oh, he wants to be sick. Let's see what we can do about that. So he put it on him. Did the Lord say not to lie? Oh, did he open the door wide open? Oh, it even said what he wanted. I'm sick. And so that's what happened. He got sick. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. If you do these things, if you do all these things that I just told you about, Your salvation will come like the dawn. Yes, your healing will come quickly. Now then, if a person is sick, and they've never done any fasting, and they can't get healed, if they would read Isaiah 58 and do what it says, would they get healed? 
The word says they would, doesn't it? It says your healing will come how? Slowly? Speedily. So if you get rid of all those sins that we talked about there, you stop living for yourself, you start living for the Lord, and when you pray and fast, you do it as under the Lord. He says, and if you'll take care of the poor and the needy and all those things, he said, then your salvation will come like the dawn. Yes, your healing will come quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Now, if you're talking to God on a regular basis and He's not answering you, there's something wrong. You need to get right with God. When you get right with the Lord, He will answer you. He says He will. He says He'll talk to you quickly. Then He says, Stop oppressing the helpless and stop making false accusations and spreading vicious rumors. Now, nobody in the church would ever do anything like that, would they? Stop oppressing the helpless. And stop making false accusations. And spreading vicious rumors. But Lord, that was so good. I had to call Dan and tell him what happened. No, you didn't have to call nobody and tell nobody nothing. Did the Lord tell us to stop doing this nonsense? Yes, he did. I think it's time we start believing him, don't you? Then he says, feed, verse 10, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as day. The Lord will guide you continually, watering your life when you are dry and keeping you healthy too. Now, hey, I like that, don't you? The Lord's going to keep me healthy? I mean, I like to be healthy, don't you? It's more fun to be healthy than it is to have sickness and disease or have a tumor or cancer, I'll tell you for sure. The Lord will keep you healthy. You will be like a well-watered garden. What happens to a well-watered garden? That thing produces fruit. Doesn't it, Cheryl? I mean, you, you live out in the country. You know what happens when you water a garden, don't you, girl? It produces groceries. If you don't want it, it don't produce nothing, does it? When you want it, it says you will be like that. Like an ever-flowing spring. Your children will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as the people who rebuild their walls and cities. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, what is the Sabbath day? Is are we under the Sabbath anymore as the church? No. But do we have a day that's supposed to be holier than other days? What day is that? Sunday, the first day of the week. That's the day we set aside for church to worship and serve the Lord. He says, keep your Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interest on that day. Don't pursue your own interest on that day. Well, but Lord, I mean, Lord, when I get through here this afternoon, I'm going to go down here and make a deal on a house this afternoon. I mean, i got to have some money. I told the people I'd meet them right after church. What did he say do? 
He said, don't do that, didn't he? Wow. How many of y'all remember the Texas blue law? Some of you. Why is it that law is not in effect anymore? It is in effect. We just don't honor it. We don't honor it. When I was a child, you know what happened in the little hometown I was raised up on on Sunday? There was not one single store in town opened. You couldn't buy a loaf of bread. You couldn't buy any gasoline. You couldn't buy not one single thing on Sunday. Somebody said, well, the world couldn't exist no more if we didn't, wasn't open on Sunday. Oh, yeah. We'd buy our gas on Monday through Friday or Saturday. We'd go to the grocery store. You know, I mean, I think about people that just, just like Walmart, they don't technically have to be open from 24-7. They could open 12 or 14 hours a day and do the same amount of business. They really could. But they make it convenient for people that work. And that little tiny number that comes in from midnight till 7 o'clock in the morning is really a very small number compared to the people coming during the day. And all the people that come in from 10 o'clock at night till 7 o'clock in the morning, if, if you weren't open, they'd be in the rest of the time. They'd find the time. You could shut the place down. And those people that come in on Sunday, I mean, you don't have to be there on Sunday. You can close them doors on Sunday. They can be there, you know. But the Lord says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interest on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. That's what we're supposed to do with this day. It's His holy day. Honor the Lord in everything you do and don't follow your own desires or don't talk idly. Now, where have I heard that before? That's over in the New Testament, same thing. If you do this, all these things he just said, if you do this, the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and give you full share of the inheritance I promised you, Jacob, your ancestor, and I, the Lord, have spoken. Now then, if the king speaks, do we have to listen? No, we don't have to. We can be disobedient. If daddy speaks to you and you're a child, do you have to obey? No. But is there a consequence? It depends on who daddy is. Sometimes there's a serious consequence. Sometimes you disobey daddy and you get maybe three little licks with a little bitty switch. But maybe the next daddy, he wears your backside out with the peach tree. And when he gets through the peach tree, there ain't nothing left but the strip bark. <laughs> You've been there, huh? You've been there, huh? Well, let me tell you. After, when you got that kind of daddy, all he's got to do after he does that to you once or twice it says, son, do you want me to go to that peace tree limb again? I, no, 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 Dad, no, no. I will straighten my act up. But now, them children. That's just like when I think about what all the Lord said right there in Isaiah 58. I think about one time I was sitting there in church and my children were little bitty. I was a deacon. I was an usher and everything in that big Baptist church. And I brought my son and my daughter down on the front row and I set them down right there by themselves. I said, now you two kids... You two children, y'all sit here and be quiet 
I said, you can write or do something, but I do not want you up running around. I want you to sit right there until I get through. When I finish ushering, taking, up taking, offering, and everything, which is about 30 minutes into the service, I said, then I'll come down here and sit with y'all. But I said, y'all sit right there and be quiet. I don't want to hear any noise. I don't want you up running around. Well, one day I was walking back there, and a lady, she said, Mr. Scrivener, she had her children with her. And they were up, they were jumping, they were down under the chairs, they were doing all kinds of things. She said, I have observed your children over the weeks. I don't understand how you do that. I said, what do you mean? She said, Tim and Amanda go down and sit down on the front row, they don't talk. They sit there and write or something, or read, but said they don't move, they don't run around, they don't talk. They, how do you do that? I said, well, ma'am, it's simple. I told them to go down there and sit down and be quiet. Well, she said, I tell mine too, and they don't obey me. I said, ma'am, you know the difference between you and me? She said, what? I said, when I talk, I mean business. I said, now, I'll tell you what. I could take that label right there and say, son, I want you to sit down there. I don't want you to say a word. He looked up at me and kind of smiled. And I said, you know, if you were man on that smile, I know what that's coming from. I would have taken you out of here right here, and I'd take my belt off, hit you three legs. Then when I sat down, I said, sit down. I mean for you to be quiet. I mean for you to be quiet. I said, it wouldn't take but once or twice. She said, I would never do my children like that. I said, then let them grow to be hellions if you want to. I said, I did mine like that. I said, whenever mine don't do what I tell them, I took a belt of their in and I wore it out. And I told them, when I talk, I mean business, and I don't plan on talking again. And I said, you notice I got two good children. She said, yes, you do. I said, well, the Lord himself says the rod of correction will drive the evil far from your children, and it will not kill them. I said, since I read that in the book of Proverbs, I figured he knows more about how to raise children than I ever will. So since he said the rod of correction will drive the evil far from your children, I believe he meant what he is talking about. So I said, I do what God told me to do in His Word. I said, I didn't have to do it many times. You know, two or three times is about all it takes. Now you can take a child that does not grow up learning how to be obedient and honor mother and daddy. If they're not taught that, and you demand that honor and that respect and that obedience, if you don't demand that from them, then those children will grow up when they get grown. They will not know that God means business. And so they read something, he said, don't, now, don't go out and sin, or I'll send the cruel one to you. You think, well, I don't have a clue what he means sending the cruel one to me. Let me tell you what that is. That cruel one is the devil. That's a demon. And so if you go out and sin, you're going to get a cruel one sent to you. And when those devils come to you, and because of your sins, they afflict you and torment you and put sickness and disease upon you and all those things, you think, well, I'm just suffering for the glory of God. No, you're not. You're stupid. That's what you are. You know, you don't know the Word of God. You're just stupid. Now, see, I was stupid for a lot of years of my life. But when I began to read this book in detail, I found that this book is an owner's manual written by the Creator to the created being. And I've come to realize He means everything He says in that book. Just like if you want to have a, if you want to have a fast and you want to see God do something mighty and wonderful in your life, you will have to do exactly what Isaiah 58 says in every step of the way. Now then, by reading that the other night, this is my problem. 
He says, when I am on that fast, I am to do nothing. Nothing. I am to stay at home. I am to pray and fast and study the Word of God. Okay, so to pray and fast and study the Word of God is okay, except when you've got a Tuesday night Bible study, and then you've got Sunday afternoon services, and then when you've got two healing schools a month, how, when am I going to take a time in my life that I can pray and seek God and do nothing but seek Him and stay at home, just me worshiping and praising and reading the Word for up to 40 days, six weeks? How am I going to do that? If any of y'all have that answer for me, I need you to share it with me before I leave here today. How, we, how in the world are you going to shut your life down? See, I've done a one-day fast and went to work. I've done a three-day fast and went to work. I've done a seven-day fast and went to work. I've done a 14 fast and went to work. I've done an 18-and-a-half-day fast, and I went to work. In fact, in that 18-and-a-half days, I guarantee you, I was in the ministry full-time, both in the 14 and the 18, and I put in 14 to 16 hours of work time, seven days a week. My phone rings off the wall. People want to talk to me. I mean, I, I'm working on cars, my cars. I'm working on an air conditioner. This morning, I'm laying there in bed. I'm thinking, last night, our air conditioner home quit working. Or at least it wouldn't, it wouldn't run. And Cheryl said, I need, the air conditioner's not on. She gets up, goes to the door, open door. She said, it's buzzing. I said, just turn it off. She said, you know how to fix an air conditioner? I said, there's not anything about an air conditioner I don't know. I can fix any air conditioning system. I mean, up to hundreds of tons. I've worked on the biggest monsters they are. i worked on all of them. And then I'm laying there in bed after I got to thinking. I have 15... Now then, I think at our house here in Collierville, i got an air conditioner. Okay, that's one. And I think, you know, out at the minister center, i got two more. And then my house has got three more out there. That's six. And then my other house over there in Justin has got two more. And then over there to Jim, we got five more. I almost have to be, need to be a full-time air conditioning mechanic to keep all just my air conditioners running. And then the other day after the healing school, one of the three hot water heaters in one of my houses had gone leaking in the very top floor. And after I finished a healing school all day long, I went out and bought a hot water heater and carried it up to the third floor and changed the hot water heater before I come home the other night. How am I going to take six weeks off and we've got a ministry center has got to run. We've got equipment has got to run. How am I going to take six weeks out of my life and just spend it with God? I need some help. Y'all understand where I'm coming from? If somebody's got an idea how I'm going to do that, have you ever stopped to think that if God says, I'm not going to honor a fast unless you take it and you take it with me? You take it with me. It's be kind of like, and of course Cheryl accuses me of this, it's kind of like the honeymoon. We're getting married. We're going to go on a honeymoon. She says, I gave her one day and four hours, and the honeymoon was over, and we were on the road preaching the gospel again. One day and four hours. You know what? I would have loved it, and she would have too, if we could have just went away somewhere for two or three weeks and just, you know, went off somewhere on the beach or, you know, went somewhere. I thought that's what we were doing. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful? See, that would make it wonderful, wouldn't it? If you could just take, forget the world's out there. 
Here you are, you know, you're, you're, you get married and you love each other and hey, let's just close down the world and let's just go somewhere and let's just have a good time and let's just spend time together and let's just dine and eat out and, and just love each other and let's just take, well the Lord says He gives you the first year. He said a man is to do no work when he gets married for a whole year. Wow, that's awesome, isn't it? That's awesome. That's under the law. Yeah, praise God. That's under the law. So I'm praying now to have to take a year off, right? <laughs> praise God. But see, it would be wonderful today if we could do those kind of things. If we could do those kind of things. But but now then, how am how am I? I want I want my anointing to increase. When when people come here, they want to get healed. Just like this man right here, sitting right back here. He said he was talking with somebody, and his wife had a back problem. And he said, he asked somebody at work or whatever, uh, do you know anybody that has an anointing or in the church that gets people's back sealed? And they said, Thurman Scrivener does. I mean, I, don't, I have no idea how many people I've seen their back sealed when I prayed for them. There's one sitting right there. Sir, you look across the shelf. Well, right, this girl right here had been down in her back for 30 years. 30 years. Been to the doctor for the last 23 years, anywhere from three to five times a week. And she came and I laid hands on her prayer for her and she was instantly healed. Hadn't had a back pain since then, a year and a half ago. God is an awesome God. You know, you know what? I mean, you see, you know, you see why I want that anointing? You know, I mean, Sharon, so she's just one of many that's received these kind of miracles and healing. She is grateful to the King for what He did through my anointing when I laid hands on her and prayed for her. She is forever grateful. Because when you've been down for 30 years with back pains and you get healed, let me tell you, it's nice to not have back pains no more. And she knows it. She's gone a year and a half now, almost a year and three months, with no back pain. But I've seen many people that's been down with those kind of things. And there's not only backs that the Lord heals through this ministry, but He heals lots of things. But there's so many things He doesn't heal. You know, like autism, very rarely. Cerebral palsy. What's the deal? I mean, you would think getting rid of an autistic demon would be as easy as getting rid of a demon that's in your back. But there's something different. Something requires a greater anointing to get that done. What did the Lord say would increase that anointing? This fast. How did He say do it? He said do no work. Treat everybody right. Walk in love. what He's trying to say. And then you lock yourself up with me, He said. You talk to me. Because who is your source of your anointing? The Lord. the Lord is. That's right. He's the source. And since He's the source, He knows that every minute I spend with Him and every minute I don't spend with Him. I spend hours a week. Hours. Sometimes two or three hours a day easily just talking to the Lord. Just, just talking to Him. I, I go into a room and just get the Word out and I just sit there and just lay back and just in a chair and just start praying and talking to Him. And once in a while, he'll just talk to me. In fact, the other day, it's amazing where God will talk to you. I, I was in this.
the boss last time we checked, right, Ty? He is the boss. So I don't understand those things. I don't understand why he does things like he does. But I don't know who gave me that book about fasting and prayer a few weeks ago. Somebody gave me a book about a Hindu guy. Was that you? Who was that? Who was it? Somebody gave me a book. And I went home and started reading that book. And the very first story in that book was about Stevie. And I, you know, I had told this story. I had heard this story before. And there that story was in that book. And this man, his prayer life, he was a Hindu. And he was going to be a Hindu priest and everything. And over where he was in his foreign country, one day a little petite lady come up to the door and she says, could I have a cup of cold water? I'm going to give a glass of water to these children out here. He said, okay, no problem. So he said, she was an American. So he said, I gave her a glass of water. And so when she gave me the glass of water, she handed me a Bible. I looked at it, okay. He said, I'm a man looking for truth. I'll read it. And he said, I started reading it, and I met a man that blew me away. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He said, as I'm reading about him, I thought how awesome he was. Then he said, I thought one day, I said, Lord, if I accept you, Jesus, you say in your word, you are the truth and life of the No man comes to the Father except by you. He said, if I make you Lord of my life, I'm going to alienate myself from my entire family. <clears throat> he said, what do I do? And he said, I passed out. Bam. My head hit the table. And said, the next thing I knew, I'm standing in heaven. Wow. He said, a being began to approach me brighter than 10,000 suns. But he said, I could still see him. It wouldn't hurt my eyes. Wow. He said, after an experience like that, you come back down, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So he said, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And said, sure enough, I said, I got thrown out. And I came to America. And I went to a Bible school over here. I graduated after four years. He said, then they called me and said, my mother was dying with a very rapid incurable disease. And he said, I thought, Lord, what am I going to do? And he said, the Lord told me. I know in Bible school you missed this verse. But it's in my word. In Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He said, now, Jesus answered prayer and healed the sick 2,000 years ago, so he'll still do it today. And he said, all of a sudden, this magnificent language began to come upon me. And I thought, what is this? So he said, I knew one Catholic nun that seemed to be very religious... Now, he just graduated from a four-year Bible college. But he called this Catholic nun, and he got together with her and told her what had happened. And she said, oh, praise God, you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So he said, after that baptism, the Word of God says, after you receive this baptism, you shall receive power. You need that power. Don't leave home without that power. Now, a lot of people say, well, I've asked God and asked God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I never got it. Let me tell you. Here's where you mess up. How, what makes you think you didn't get it? They say, well, I never did speak in tongues. Let me tell you. When you ask Him to baptize you with the Holy Ghost, He doesn't have to baptize, He doesn't have to give you the gift of tongues. He can give you any one of the gifts or no gift.
What you need to do is ask and believe you have received and then go start doing something as if you had the full anointing of the Holy Ghost. See, He's a faith God. I'm going to tell you that when that power comes upon you, he can, He'll anoint you with that power when you ask and then go and begin to do something. Now then, does that mean that the gift of healing, when I accepted that baptism of the Holy Ghost into my life many years ago, did that mean I immediately stepped into the gift of miracles? No. Did I see any miracles for a long time? No. Did I see any healings? No. Was that one of the gifts? Sure it was. Right there with tongues. All of them's in the same list of nine. But did I receive anything? No. At that point, I didn't receive nothing. I just knew a wave of power come upon me. And that morning, I witnessed boldly to people like I'd never witnessed before in my life. And I began to see people get saved when I could never get them saved before. But none of the gifts of the Spirit came upon me at that time. None of them. But slowly over the years, every one of those gifts has flowed through my body. I'm going to tell you, when I walked up down there, of course, Cheryl was down there in Louisiana with me the other day, and she got to meet Johnny. But let me tell you, when you walk up to a man that's had a tree this big around, fall across a tractor across his legs and crush them, and they bring him up and set him in a chair in front of you, and he's got these steel braces, his legs just stiff as they can be, and he can't move a muscle, can't walk a step, and the doctor says, you'll never walk again. And I walk up and lay my hands on his knees and quote John 14, 13, and ask the Father in Jesus' name to do a complete healing on that man, and then ask him to take those braces off, and he takes those off, and then I reach out and grab him by the hand, I said, now stand and walk in the name of Jesus. And that man stands up on two legs, he's not walked in 21 months, and then I said, John 14, 13, 14, Jesus said, I can ask the Father in the name of Jesus anything, and he'll do it. I said, take a step, and give him a step, a jerk, and one, two, three, and after that I said, you're on your own, go. And in two minutes, he's running up and down the aisles of that little church screaming, God is awesome. Let me tell you, when we was down there nine months later, he's still screaming, God is awesome. Still screaming, God is awesome. What was that gift that came upon me that day? The gift of miracles. That's right. It hit me twice. The first woman that I prayed for, she walked up, she come up the aisle, and she was like this. And I said, what's wrong with you? And I reached over and said, in the name of Jesus. And her hands just got solid as a rock. She said, well, I had Parkinson's and lupus. I had Parkinson's and lupus. I just touched her. I said, in the name of Jesus. And bam, the demons left her just like that. And she was instantly healed of not only Parkinson's, but lupus. She went back to a doctor. She broke a hip about three months later. She knew she felt wonderful, so she didn't go back to a doctor. She goes in to the doctor when she got this broke hip, and the doctor says, Hey, your record said you had Parkinson's and lupus. We've done a test on you. You don't have either one. What can Jesus do? Ooh, all we got to do is believe, right? All we got to do is believe. So whenever that gift comes up on you, now see what I would like to, what I'd like to have do it. I'd like to have that power so anybody I touched, that would happen. Wouldn't you like to have that? Wow, could we use that for the glory of God? That's where we're supposed to walk, in the church. Now, I don't know why it is that the anointing God puts them on for backs. I mean, I, I prayed for Sharon's back. I prayed for dozens and dozens of people's back. In fact, one of the worst backs I've ever prayed for was uh, Bobby Jones up in Louisville. 
that in, at 14, his back was crushed in a football accident. Broke these vertebrae all up and down his back, and he's now 38 years old and fixing to go have surgery. He sings in the Baptist church, Lakeland Baptist Church, and a little lady that knew me there introduced me to him at the, uh, the National Day of Prayer in Flower Mound year before last. And here he is. This is his last singing engagement. He's going to have surgery. The doctors have told him, we'll do the surgery. There's a danger we may cut your vocal cords because we've got to go in through the front. You may never get to sing again. But we can still assure you that we will not be able to get rid of all of your pain. You're just going to live the rest of your life with pain. Well, when she introduced me to him, I said, I met him right there and I said, Bobby, are you a son of God? He said, Mr. Scrivener, I believe in Jesus with all my heart. I said, do you have all your sins repented of? Any unforgiveness or anything like that? He said, no, sir. I'm walking holy before God. I said, great. There's very few young men doing that today. But I said, praise the Lord. I said, Bobby, you've got a sin of unbelief for the promises of God. What do you mean? I said, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, that if two of us on earth agree about anything we ask Him for, He'll do it for us. I reached up and laid hands on him, rebuked that devil, and asked the Father in Jesus' name to fix that back. And then I turned to him and I said, Now, I'm going to guarantee you, when you wake up in the morning, you're not going to have any back trouble because Jesus is going to heal you. It's done. And the next morning, Bobby Jones woke up for the first time in 24 years and turned over and got out of bed. And from that day to this, he's not had one single back pain. Now then, is it easy for Jesus to do those kind of things? Piece of cake. I mean, for Jesus, everything's a piece of cake. Father, in Jesus' name, bless that water. <clears throat> but why is it I can't get an autistic child healed that quick? Why is it I can't get a cerebral palsy child healed that quick? Why have I never seen a cerebral palsy child healed? I have not paid the price. Stephen healed the cerebral palsy and he said he was full of the Holy Ghost and power. He healed him in the name of Jesus. If Stephen could do it, you and I can do it. What do we got to do? Pay the price. Pay the price. Well, I am seeking the Lord to show me what time and how He wants me to do this. This gentleman that wrote this book that I'm reading right now about fasting and prayer, <clears throat> he said when he first came to the States, going to Bible college, he went to work in a psychiatric ward in a children's hospital. What a place to work. If you, don't, if you, if you, if you get off into grumbling and complaining, and you think you're, you're defeated, go down to one of the psychiatric wards in one of the children's hospitals. Spend a day, not an hour, spend all day. And when you come out there, that's just like one day I went up to Denton on a Sunday. I went to the state school. Has anybody ever worked in a state school in Denton? Some of you been up there? Let me tell you, I went up there and spent an afternoon. And after I saw the condition of the people, that was way before I even knew anything about demons. I didn't know that's what those people's problem were. But I, my heart went out for all those children. The next morning, 
when I come back to work, I walked into my workplace and there was a general manager which was making big bucks, living in a big, beautiful home, a very nice man. He walked in and I said, hey, good morning, how are you doing this morning? <clears throat> he said, I'm going to have a terrible weekend. <clears throat> I said, what do you mean? He said, I had a flight on my car Saturday morning when I got up. He said, yesterday afternoon I had a problem with my car. Had to take the top of the carburetor off because he got messed up. Nearly nearly a new car on two or three or four years old. He said, I messed around the whole weekend. Didn't get a whole lot of confidence. I had a terrible weekend this weekend. I said, I really feel sorry for you. I said, you should have spent the weekend with me. He said, what do you mean? I said, I was up at Denton at the state school holding the hands of little children, trying to feed them, trying to comfort them, trying to console them, trying to love them because mothers and fathers had thrown them away. I said, I don't think that I know there was not one single child in that place that would have been happy to have traded positions with you. Not one. I just walked off and left him. I went to the cafeteria in a few minutes. He came down and he said, I got to think about what you said. He said, my weekend wasn't quite so bad after all. See, when the Lord says, do all things without complaining, grumbling, it all depends on where you are. All depends on where you are in life. If you're walking in health and you got money in the bank and you got a car paid for, and you got a nice home and it's paid for. And then you go out and it seems like three or four things you do today doesn't turn out just exactly right. It's easy, instead of saying, Lord, thank you for all of this, let me grumble about these two or three little things. Isn't that right, Ernest? It's real easy to get into grumbling and complaining when the Lord says, Oh, if you want to grumble and complain about those two or three little things... Maybe, just maybe, I might ought to turn the devil loose on something over here. Aren't we glad that he doesn't do that too much? At least not the first time we grumble and complain. Because if he did, we'd all be in big trouble. In fact, the Lord told us all through his word what to do. He told us not to lie, not to steal, not to cheat. Not to commit adultery, you know, not to covet. He told us all those things. But how many Christians you know that do those things? A lot. We don't realize what we have. And we don't realize that when God says something, you do what He says. Now I'm going to tell you this one little last story, and then we're going to take communion. There's a man here in this church. That came to me the other day and he said, Thurman, when you said that we're supposed to obey the laws of the land and you said we're supposed to drive the speed limit, he said, I told my wife on the way home, I said, look now, I've agreed with everything Thurman said up to now, but said right now he's walking on my toes and I don't like it. He said, even the police officers won't stop you unless you're, if you're driving. You've got to be driving 10 miles an hour or faster. They won't even stop you. So he said, he's too stringent. With, he's trying to get off into the law. I, I realize God said we're supposed to obey the law. But he says, 
And I don't believe God means what he says right there. So he said, I'm going to go ahead and use my radar detector. Thomas said, we shouldn't have radar detectors as Christians. We shouldn't have them. But he said, I'm going to go ahead and keep my radar detector up there anyway. He said, a few days later, my car bro- broken into and they only stole one thing out of my car. <laughs> you know what that was? His radar detector. I asked him to give his testimony himself. He said, no, you can do it. I ain't about to get it for the deal. Tell him this. He said, you can tell him what I'm not going to. I said, okay, I want your permission to tell this before I tell it. He said, you got it. I said, it would be better for you to tell it. He said, absolutely not. I'm not going to do it. I said, okay, I'll tell it. He said, then a few days later, I'm driving down the road, and I'm driving 69 miles an hour in a 60-mile-an-hour zone. He said, I go by, and there is an unmarked police car. And he said, I don't see anybody in it. The car is sitting there. So, so we go on by and said, we go about a mile and I look in my mirror and there's that car right behind me. He said, I still don't see nobody in it. But the car is behind me. He said, then the car pulls up to my side. And he said, when the car pulls up to my side, he turns on these blinking lights. He said, I kind of look out the corner of my eye and I say, honey, I don't, what's wrong with me? Do you see anybody driving that car? And she kind of glanced, she says, no. I don't see anybody driving this car. But it's right beside him with the lights on. And then the siren comes on. So he said, I decide to slow down to 60 to the speed limit. He said, he follows me for two and a half to three miles with his lights on and his siren on right by my side at 60 miles an hour. And then he pulls back behind me and gets right behind me, turns off the lights and the siren and pulls off an exit ramp. He said, you know what? I ain't going to speed no more. I ain't going to speed no more. Isn't that just a coincidence that I teach that we as Christians should obey the law? I mean... Not 61 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour zone, but 60. Not 69, but 60. And he tells his wife, Thomas lost it. That's a little too far, you know. And the very next thing happens, the window gets broke out of his car, it gets broken into, and only steal one thing, his radar detector. And then he gets to ride along beside a police officer with a siren going and the lights on, but he can't see nobody driving it. And he follows him for two and a half to three miles at the speed limit. And then the guy pulls him out. Never sees anybody in the car. They never saw anybody in that car. Who do you think might have been driving that car? Might have been an angel, huh? What do you think he's trying to tell him? Obey the law. So that man told me. He said, I'll say one thing, Thurman. I ain't never going to speed again. Can God get your attention? Yes, he can. He can get your attention. Now then, today we're going to take communion, so I want those that are going to serve the communion to start passing around the communion. And I want you to know, here again, this right here is a very, very important thing that we do. Communion. Now then, I want to tell you, the Word of God says, before you take this communion, make sure you've repented of all your sins. Make sure 
you have repented of all your sins. If you know you have a sin of unforgiveness, if, if you know that you have a sin of unforgiveness, or you know you've been talking evil about somebody, or you know that you've just lied or stole or cheated, committed adultery or whatever you've done, make sure you repent and turn from that wicked way. Because the Word of God says, if you take this, let me have one of those as you go by. Thank you. If you take communion unworthily, it will bring sickness and disease and weakness and death to your physical body. Do you know that? If you take communion unworthily, it can bring weakness and sickness and even death to your flesh. This is a holy thing that we do. Now, how do you eliminate that? Make sure your sins are repented of. All you got to do is say, Lord, I messed up here or there or whatever. Name it to Him, and He's a gracious and mighty God, and He will forgive you those sins. Are we glad? We're very glad. He will forgive you, but then you know what the king says after you repent of sin? He says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Because whenever the man that he healed had been crippled for 40 years, when he healed him, he told him, he said, now go and sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. Lest something worse. Now I'm telling you, to have been down for 40 years is pretty bad. But to have something worse than that would be, that would be rough. So the thing about it is, do not sin anymore. When you get your sins repented of, start walking holy in obedience to God's Word. And if you walk in obedience to the Word, I mean, the devil cannot make you sick. If you learn the Word and you can walk in obedience to the Word, I'm here to tell you that, and of course I make this statement, and a lot of people have a real problem with this. No Christian should ever be sick. No Christian should ever be sick. We should not be sick. There should be no sickness, no disease in us. If we open the door, the Lord, just think, under the old covenant, not this covenant we're fixing to take right now, but under the old covenant, He said many times, if you will be obedient and keep all my commandments and all my statutes, I, God, will take all sickness and disease away from you, and you will have none. Now, if the Lord made that kind of a statement to the nation of Israel under the law, and we got a better covenant sealed in the blood of His own Son, when we are wicked as we are, and then we come to Him and get saved, and He redeems us and washes away all of our sins, and put that brand new white clean robe on us, we should keep that robe clean and spotless. And if we keep that robe clean and spotless, you will never have to have any sickness or disease in your life. Now, I didn't know that for 45 years. But the last 21 years, I got a hold of it. And I'm telling you, it is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing to not even have to be concerned about waking up with a flu tomorrow. You know that? I took those words out of my vocabulary. Yeah, man, I, I used to, when I thought you had to have that, I had the flu at least once or twice every year. 
I mean, that's just the way of life. You know, everybody told me that's just what everybody has to go through. I mean, take your flu shots and all that stuff. Well, I wouldn't take a flu shot. I mean, since I've learned how to walk by faith, I wouldn't take a flu shot because if I did, I know the devil would make me sick with it. I ain't about to take that. I'm not going to take anything. I'm going to walk holy in obedience to God's Word. And my faith is at a level now. I don't believe I need any kind of medicine. If I hadn't had not one bite of medicine in 21 years, I ain't going to start now. What we hold in our hand is a symbol of the beaten and bruised body of the Savior. If you saw the Passion before they cut out some of the rough parts of it, you'll get some kind of an idea of what our king went through. What he paid, the price he paid for you with his body, so you don't have to be sick. He heals you. By his stripes you were healed. But it requires you walking in obedience to his word for it to work. And then it requires you walking in faith. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, as we hold this piece of bread, which is pierced, striped, and without yeast, which is a symbol of no sin, we take this bread into our bodies as your flesh. You said to those that do not eat your flesh or drink your blood has nothing in you. So we eat your flesh in obedience to your word. You said, do this as often as we do it. Do it in remembrance of you. Thank you, Father, for the bread. And this little cup of juice is a symbol of the blood that ran out of the body of our Savior. That was so powerful, the worst wicked sins we could commit, he washed him away with that. And when we came to him, that blood washed us and cleansed us and made us pure and clean and holy. And if I had only known at that point, if somebody had only told me, I was supposed to remain holy with no sin from that day forth. What a difference my life could have been. But I didn't know that. But I've now learned it. So Lord, thank you for the blood that washed away my sin. That when I was buried in baptism with you, I died. And the new man that arose was a new creature. The old man don't live no more. So I'm trying my best every day to leave that old man dead. I crucify him every day. It takes every day. Sometimes several times a day. I crucify him and I walk in the power of the blood. And we overcome him, the devil, by the blood and the word of our testimony. Mm. Father, we thank you for the blood that our Savior poured out so we could walk free of sin. We praise you and thank you for what you've done. Now bless us this week as we go forth. Use us mightily as we take this blood this juice as a symbol of your blood into our body. We thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, 
I would like for you all to pray about my situation. I don't know how I would take six weeks off. I don't know how I would do that. How would you take six weeks off and not do nothing except lock yourself up with God, Ty? You ever thought about that? I know that it's possible. I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to do it. But y'all pray about that for me. I'm going to pray about it. Cheryl and I is going to pray about it. We're going to see what God leads us to do. But if we decide to do this, I say if we, it'll be when God tells me, that's for sure. It won't be when I decide. It'll be when He tells me. When He tells me, I'm going to do what He said. Right now, we're in the preparation stages, so I know it's coming. I just don't know when. But I not only want to be able to lay hands on people and touch them with their backs to get healed, I want to see people's legs grow out. I want to see autistic children instantly healed. I want to see cerebral palsy children. I have a, I have a nephew that's 42 years old that was born with cerebral palsy because of sin in his daddy's life. And that boy's been plagued. His daddy run around on my sister while he was, she was carrying that boy. And that second boy was born with cerebral palsy. If we only knew, we would not do those stupid things. But he did. And now that boy has paid that price. Forty-two years been bound by a demon that I can't get out. But I'm going to get him out somehow, someday. We're going to, I was reading another book the other day about a man. And there was a half a dozen men in the church got together. Just men. And they locked themselves up together. And those half a dozen men fasted and prayed and read and quoted God's Word. At the end of three full weeks of fasting and praying, they said whenever they would, somebody happened to bring them a cerebral palsy inflicted person. And one of them walked out and touched it and was instantly healed. But there was a half a dozen men got together, locked themselves up with God and prayed and fasted at the end of three weeks. They said the cerebral palsy were healed. Amen. Who knows? Who knows? Pray about it. Maybe you might be chosen by God to be one of those that we might do this. Who knows? Who knows what God's going to do? But anyway, just pray about it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Ghost. I thank you for the anointing. I praise you and thank you for the things... I have been able to see you do, Lord. I'm so grateful for all of them. But, Lord, I want to go further. I want to see you do great and mighty things. I know it's totally you. But I have to pay the price for you to do these things. I don't understand all that. But, Lord, we want to see you do it. Now, Lord, if we go forth this week, we ask you to bless everyone that's here. Bless them as they give to this ministry. I ask you to bless them as we give the tapes and the teachings to them. I ask you to bless them and anoint the teachings where they'll learn how to walk holy and in your power. And you'll begin, they'll begin to see you answer their prayers and do great and mighty things for them too. Now, Lord, as we give away our tapes and CDs and things back there on the back, we ask you to anoint every one of them in a mighty way and bless everyone that hears them, sees them, or listens to them in the weeks and months ahead. And I want to praise you and thank you for this beautiful day. Now, Lord, as we pray for the people that will come forth.
ask you today to heal every one of them. Be merciful to them and heal every one of them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.